Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Famously, men can be uh, a little bit stubborn about getting lost. I found myself, uh, you know, with with, uh, modern GPS, it doesn't happen quite so often, uh, but I can remember before everybody had a GPS uh, in their pocket, I can remember uh, being married before that uh, before that was a reality and uh, and one case in particular sticks out in my mind. This is probably in uh, two thousand eleven we were new to the Hampton Roads area. We were new as pastors here in this church, and we have a sister church down in Havelock, North Carolina, and we were driving down there to uh, to take part in a, a service, a revival service, I believe. And uh, so at that time, the, the smartphones were still pretty early on, and, you know, the GPS, the maps on there weren't, weren't all that great. They've improved quite a lot since then. But uh, so I'm, I'm going to blame it on the GPS. But what happened was uh, we uh, we going down this country road, man, and uh, Havelock, North Carolina is not on too many maps, but we, it took us to this road. I'm not sure if it was an old road that had been destroyed or if it was, if it was a new road that was going to be constructed. But bottom line was this, this GPS was taking us to a road. It was literally a gravel road through the middle of a forest. I don't know who decided to put that road on the map. Uh, but ultimately, it was my decision to follow its directions. And uh, so there we were, my family uh, and I, my wife there, and we're driving in our minivan down this gravel road. And it, you know, I'm thinking, okay, it's just got to be a few miles until we get to the main road. And, uh, uh, well, it was more than just a few miles. It ended up being like a half hour on a gravel road. By the time we got off of that road, I thought the wheels were going to fall off. And um, so the problem was that um, I had put all my trust and my hopes and dreams into this device, and it was leading me astray. Now, uh, imagine the scenario where it's possible that, you know, that road was taking us generally the right way, but it was, it was not great. I'm sure there's a better way. And having driven to Havelock since then, I know for a fact there are better ways to drive. There are better roads. There are more, uh, more gas stops that you can stop and ask for directions if you need to. But uh, my problem was I was so locked into stupid that I would not turn around. I just trusted that, that device to take us. and Thankfully, eventually we got there. But here's the problem. See, a husband like me in that situation is very difficult for me to stop and say, you know, I think we're going the wrong way. And even if, 
Imagine the scenario where I would have said, dear, I think we're going the wrong way, but still didn't turn the car around and go back the right direction. I want to talk to you this morning about repentance. This is a, this is a topic that uh, in the church world has gained less and less attention as time has gone by, and yet the idea of repentance has not lost its power. Repentance is truly a powerful subject because repentance is what leads to righteousness with God. Anything short of repentance is like the husband who's driving down the road and says, I think I'm going the wrong way, but refuses to turn around. And there's a lot of ways that we do that in life, don't we? we? Sometimes we know that we're doing something that doesn't please God. Sometimes we are even aware that, that we're involved in sin or disobedience. And so many of God's people carry guilt and shame, and there's a burden that many people are bearing internally and are aware that God's not pleased with certain aspects or areas of your life. But that's not repentance. Just to have awareness of sin is not enough. Just to feel bad about what you've done is not enough. You can acknowledge, I think I'm going the wrong direction, but it's still not enough. Repentance means turning around. And that's what we find in this most beautiful psalm and one of the... Uh, one of the most amazing portions of Scripture in the Bible. This is Psalm 51. Now this takes place for people who know well the Word of God. The writer of this psalm is, of course, King David. And King David, the Bible said that he was a man after God's own heart. In other words, that he cared about what God thought about his life. He wanted to do right before God. But David found himself in a situation David found himself in, a, in an a, arena of disobedience against God. He had hurt people. He had taken someone else's wife as his own. He had then tried to cover it up. He had then murdered the husband. He had then brought great dishonor upon himself and his family. The child that was born from this adultery died. And there's a period of time that passes by where David, he knows that he's done wrong, but he hasn't repented. And so that's who I'm aiming for this morning. And my prayer is that there may be some people here today carrying around the weight of some sin or some condemnation. I have hope for you today. There is forgiveness in God. There is hope. There is a turnaround available but not until repentance. You must be willing to turn the car around this morning. And that's the prayer that we find in this psalm. Psalm 51, we'll begin right there, verse 1. It says, A psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And here's the prayer he prayed. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness." According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
For I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. There's a lot here this morning. God help me to bring us all to a point of repentance. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus asking you to move, God, upon our hearts. Lord, bring your blessing upon this word, God, from your scripture. God, may it come alive in the hearts of people here today. God, we want to hear your voice. We want to seek your face. We want to be cleansed and purified. God, we realize today that this is only possible through repentance. And we thank you for the opportunity we have in Jesus' mighty name. This is a message that I've titled, No Righteousness Without Repentance. And I want to begin by thinking and and reminding us all of the the incredible depravity of what sin really is. This is a tricky thing because sin is so common in our world today and in our lives, isn't it? Sin is around us every day. Sin, not just is it external, but sin is something that you and I deal with on a personal basis every day. And when you have something that is so familiar, you have the danger of, of losing your, uh, your fear of sin. Because, listen, we, we live in a sinful world, right? Since Adam and Eve broke the commandment of God in the garden, every person born uh, from that same family tree, which includes you and me, uh, that we have been born into sin. David acknowledges this. He says, I w- from my mother's womb, this is uh, verse 5, he said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. In other words, that sin is uh, it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It's part of the life experience. See, God did not create that. God did not want that for us. But because of human rebellion, because we thought we knew a better way than God's way, we were born under the curse of sin. But it's more than that, isn't it? Every little baby, listen, you you don't have to teach a child how to sin. They come out pre-programmed, right? A little two-year-old child, they don't even know how how to use a toilet yet, but they know how to tell a lie, right? They don't know how to, how, they don't know reading, writing, or arithmetic, but they know how to steal, some better than others. This is pre-programmed. It's part of the human sinful nature, but it's more than that. Sin is also something, not just that we're born into, but that we choose to do. Somewhere along the line, we come to an age of accountability. I'm not Uh, qualified to put a number on that. For some people, that age of accountability is very young. In other words, there's a time that you know what you're about to do is wrong, but you do it anyway. For some, that might be five or six years old, seven years old. For some, it might be a little bit later, you know, 11, 12, 13. But at some point in life, you know, you have understanding and knowledge that what I'm about to do, what I'm about to say is not just a bad thing but it's a violation against God. That God has created us with this little conscience, right? This little thermostat in the back of our mind 
that when we get too hot, when we get too close, there's warning bells that start firing. There's little guilt and little shame. And some people pay attention to that. Some people crumple it up like an old piece of paper and throw it away. The point is, we know that there are things that we should do that we don't. And we also know that there are things that we shouldn't do, but we do them anyway. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Are we too holy? Are we too righteous? Have we forgotten how dangerous sin really is? Because the Bible is clear about this. The job of the preacher is to shout where the Bible shouts and whisper where the Bible whispers. And on the subject of sin, it is clear sin is dangerous. It has never lost its danger. It has never lost its impact upon humanity. Sometimes I speak to unsaved people. I speak to people who are not familiar with Christianity or the Bible. Um, If you're a good Christian, you should have conversations like that sometimes too. Talking to people about the gospel and about Jesus. And uh, I I have found myself in, in conversations where people contemplate what Jesus had to go through. I remember especially years ago when the, uh, the Passion of the Christ movie came out. Everybody remembers that. And uh, Mel Gibson gave the church a very powerful gift in that movie. And uh, because one thing that it did very, very well is it depicted the high price that Jesus paid on the cross. I mean, that film is painful to watch, isn't it? Painful. I don't like to watch it, to be honest with you, because of how painful it is to, uh, to see the nails and the beating and the whipping and the blood and, and, uh, and Hollywood did its best, man, to, to keep that thing away from the theaters because it showed clearly the high price that Jesus had to pay. And I remember especially at that time talking to some sinners uh, at, my, at my job and uh, they had seen the film and they were like, man, this, that was brutal. Like, uh, these are people who are used to seeing brutality in the movies, right? Gore and violence, but, but man, that was brutal, painful. And the question was, why? Why was that necessary? If, if God is so good, why would he allow his own son to be tormented like that? Can I tell you what the answer to that question is? Why did God allow His Son to suffer so brutally and so violently? Because of sin. If you ever wonder how bad sin really is, you have to remember what Jesus had to do to defeat it. How bad is sin? It's so bad that God would allow His Son to suffer and die so that He could fix it. Can't God just be generous enough to forgive sins without all the blood and gore? No, He can't. Because God is a righteous God. There must be a just penalty for the crime. See, this is a problem in our justice system when you have a small crime that gets a huge penalty, right? But if it's true that the punishment that was laid on Jesus, and if God is a fair God, then what does it tell you about the crime? The crime of sin is cosmic rebellion against the creator of all things. And we don't often think of it that way. We think of our sins as 
mistakes. I just had a slip up. I just, uh, you know, and I understand there is a huge difference between falling into sins and jumping in with both feet. Okay, big difference there. But the fact remains that sin is offensive to God. Our lies, our lust, when we steal, we're not honest, we cheat the system. Oh, don't get all righteous on me. Just because you, you uh, uh, answered an altar call somewhere or read a Bible scripture doesn't mean that sin has left your experience, does it? We are still tempted to sin every single day. While there are different levels of consequences for different sins, the, the fact remains that no matter what the sin is, it still is grievous against the Holy God. That's why, beloved, repentance is so important. See, salvation, when we come into the presence of God, when God awakens our mind to be able to know Him, to be able to begin reaching to Him, the Bible says that we uh, that, that salvation does do a miracle in our lives, right? We are changed, that Uh, That we are new creations, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians. We become new people. And that is a wonderful thing. Old things pass away. Everything becomes new. But I want to make you aware of something you already know. Even though you are, according to the Bible, according to the New Testament, the Bible calls you a saint. You aren't holy yet. According to God's mercy, He looks down through the blood of Jesus and he sees people that he is making perfect, but Lord knows, you ain't perfect yet. Neither am I. When we claim, oh, God's finished working on me, well, now you're committing the sin of pride. 1 John 1, verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just To forgive us. And so we live in this very strange in-between place. Those of us who are saved. We live in between the, the salvation that we've experienced and the sanctification that God has promised. Somewhere along the way, God has saved you, yes, and He has dealt with your sins and He has awakened you to the kingdom of God and you see things that you've never seen before. And it's a miracle that God has given us a new life. But that new life has not yet achieved God's ultimate purpose. We are in between. And as we are here in this in-between time, I just want to remind you, sin is still possible. And sin is still very, very dangerous. We believe that our sins, even even, uh, when Christians sin grievously, it does not automatically mean that you are not saved or that you're going to hell. That is a possible consequence for the person who lives in a way that brings shame to the name of Christ for a long time with no repentance. But at the same time, we recognize that sin tears us down spiritually and emotionally. This is exactly what David had experienced in our scripture. 
The man after God's own heart. The man who had won so many victories for the Lord, right? Done so many great things for the kingdom. Written so many beautiful psalms of praise and worship, right? Even psalms that we can make into songs today and we sing on our platform. And yet, here's this man that has uh, done so many exploits and great things for God, and yet it is still capable, he is still, it is still possible for him to do stupid and evil things. Do you think you're better than King David? That it's not possible for you and I to enter in to rebellion and sin against God? Of course it's possible. And there are still consequences. Do not ever think that just because God is a gracious and a merciful God, we're going to get to that in a minute, God's grace and mercy is what covers our sins, that, get, that gives you a reason or an excuse to get away with it. It's quite disturbing to think about people, Christian people, who name the name of Jesus and say, well, God will forgive me, so it's okay. Let's go party. Let's go drink. Let's go do some drugs. Because you know what? I'll wake up Sunday morning and shake the dust and go, hey, no big deal. And just remember, the blood of Jesus was shed for every sin. This is why we should want to not sin. I'm not saying that forgiveness is impossible, but I am saying that as believers, if we are living a lifestyle of repentance, it should be a life that says, I used to be driving that way, and that was the wrong way. And I need to turn around and go back that way. And every day of our lives, we should be seeking to do that. Let's look at the consequences of sin for the saint. See, Psalm 51 was written by a sinning saint. A sinning saint. And it is well possible that we can find ourselves in the same place today. I want you to look at verse 2 of our scripture where it says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Let's say those two words together. Wash and cleanse. I know people here in this building that if, if they had the chance to take four showers a day, they would. You ever met a clean freak? You know, just love, just maybe never want to get out of the shower. Because the feeling of being dirty and stinky and nasty is uh, repulsive to them. Listen, what is uh, the consequence, one of the consequences of sin is it soils us. And we know that because David is seeking cleansing. He's seeking a purification, a washing. You know, that, that is actually good news. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Because this is actually evidence that David was still, he, he still had a relationship with God. This is the difference between the pig and the sheep, all right? Because most of us aren't around farms anymore, uh, you know, farm animal illustrations aren't as good. But there's a big difference between pigs and sheep. If a pig, uh, let's, let's start with the sheep. If the sheep falls in a mud puddle, he's going to get nasty dirty, especially if he's covered in wool. You know, that, that, uh, that mud and that grime and dirt's going to work his way in through the coat, down to the skin. And that sheep, man, he, 
He can't wait to get out of the mud. And when the farmer finally comes to rescue him, he's going to wash him off in that little sheet. He's oh, man, wash every little nook and cranny. Get all of that mess off of me. A pig, however, you can take the pig inside in the bathroom. You can, you can clean him up. You can use all kinds of soaps and oils and perfumes. You can put bows in its nice little fur and lipstick, and you can make that pig look beautiful. And what happens the moment you open the back door? Back to the mud puddle, that's right, because the pig loves to be filthy. This is the difference between the saint and the sinner. Not that both of us end up in the mud puddle sometimes, right? Sometimes that happens. You find a sheep in the mud puddle. The difference is that when the sheep finds himself struggling in sin, with all of his heart, he says, I can't stay here. i got to get out. David, eventually, as Nathan the prophet deals with him, he comes to the point where he says, oh, God, please cleanse me, wash me. I've been filthy. My sins have stained my soul. It soils us. It makes us to feel dirty. 2 Peter 2, verse 22 According to the proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit. That is the, the idea of the sinner. But the saint says, I want to be clean. Look at verse 3. I'm opening my Bible. So I can look at both at the same time. Excuse me. Verse 3 says, I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is always before me. This is, this is evidence that his sin has been in his mind. He's been thinking about it. See, you can't just sin. You can't just violate God's principles knowingly without it circulating in your mind. You'll think about it. God's faithful to do that. He will bring it to your remembrance. Maybe even now. And I often tell people, you know, to appreciate what God has done for us through the gospel, is just to think for a moment, how many sins have you committed against God if you were to list them out one by one? How many uh, yellow notepads could you fill with all of your violations and lies and, uh, and theft and cheating and uh, doing wrong and evil thoughts and fornication? and Oh, I don't even want to think about how many legal notepads I could fill up. And that's only the ones I can remember. And God, who has perfect knowledge... See, our sin, uh, the, the unbeliever can sin and forget about it. But a Christian, it will not leave your mind. This is why, this is why beloved, the most miserable people on the earth are not sinners living out in the world. The most miserable people are those living in disobedience against God. Those living and refusing to repent. Guilt will eat us up. Psalm 40, verse 12 says, Innumerable evils have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not even able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart fails me. I see people come into church like that. Barely even able to look anybody in the eye. There is hope, though. Not only does it saturate our minds, sin can sting our conscience. David was broken because he had hurt God. Did you hear what it said? He said, before you, verse 4, and you only have I sinned and done evil in your sight. Now, we know that there was other people involved in this sin, wasn't there? 
he had taken in another man's wife. That's serious. Not only that, but then he took his life. That affected the woman. That affected the parents, the family, the children. There's other people involved here. But it's so powerful to me that when David begins thinking about this great evil that he's done, he realizes that the ultimate evil is not against all the people he's offended. It's against God. Lord, I've broken your commandments. If you only fear the punishment of your sin, you better check your salvation. You know why? There's a a thought experiment you can perform on yourself. If for 24 hours God removed all the punishment of sin, what would you do? If immediately, immediately your mind goes back to all of the worldly ways, there's a problem there, right? Because... The worst thing about sin is not the punishment that comes or the consequences that appear. The fruit that grows out of the seed of rebellion, it's not just that. The worst thing about the sin is that we have affected our relationship with God. When we sin, church, we are attacking the Father's right to be involved in our lives. Not only that, we open a door for the enemy to gain entrance. Sin will make us sad. Look at verse 8. It says here, make me hear joy and gladness. The bones you have broken may rejoice. Can you feel the weight of David's disobedience that he, he's feeling like he, he's been separated from joy and gladness? And also verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Can you We would recognize that even while he's writing this, even before he repented, I believe that that David, if he would have died in that moment, he would still be in the presence of God. Because God had covered his sins. But he was living a, a, a salvation experience that was devoid of any joy and happiness. When the song came time for the songs to be sung, that David didn't feel inspiration anymore this is many times why people don't want to come to church be around God's people because they're refusing to repent it also has the effect of sickening our bodies David's sin has begun to take a physical toll on him the the bones verse 8 the bones you have broken may rejoice how many know that the reason people get sick often not always but often is because somewhere along the way there's sin involved. I'm not saying that every person in the hospital or every person who has a car accident because, you know, there was some deviancy in their life. But ultimately, from a grand perspective, we understand that sickness and death is the result of human sin, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30, For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many die. For all of these reasons, beloved, Sin is serious. The answer is repentance. Even though, beloved, we can or perhaps have fallen into sin, I want to tell you there is the ultimate comeback story possible for us today. And before we all cut our wrists thinking about how bad we've been, I have wonderful hope for you today. How many love a good comeback story? And that Patriots game from a few years back, that was probably one of the best I've ever seen. When they were down, I don't remember the score, Dave, Dave probably, huh? 
27 to 3 at the beginning of the third quarter, right? They were down and out, man. One of the, and people went to bed thinking they had lost. And they woke up in the morning with a powerful surprise. What? They won the game, Tom Brady. Superhero, right? An incredible comeback. Nothing thrills us like a good comeback story. All of the best movies, your favorite movies, are built around the idea of the comeback story. The whole thread of the Marvel Avengers MCU universe, you know what that is? It's a comeback story, isn't it? Because there's something about that story that inspires us. And I'm telling you, the, the gospel is the ultimate comeback story. It is broken, unbelieving, sinful, and deviant hearts like ours finding the road back to God. And that road is repentance. I want to show you, according to this psalm, how to repent. Are you ready? It comes first with confession. Confession. David said in verse 3, I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. In other words, God, I'm not going to excuse myself. I'm not going to place blame somewhere else. I'm not going to say that it's my inheritance. It's not... I'm not going to say it's my family. It's not the government's problem. It's, it's not uh, the guy who cut me off in traffic. The, Lord, be, I'm a raging monster because I'm a sinner. And we don't blame our spiritual condition on external sources. That is the most powerful thing. That's where repentance begins is simply acknowledging I'm the problem. It's not the devil. The devil has helped along the way. He's pushed you over a few edges. But you know what? You were standing on the edge first. And he just came and tapped you. People give a lot of credit to the devil that he doesn't need. When we confess, the word means simply to agree or to say the same thing. Literally in the Greek, it means to say the same thing. To testify with the same words of what God says. What does God say about your life? That's confession. He's a good guy, but he's got a problem here. That's what God says. See, God still loves us. The miracle of all miracles here is that God cares about sinners like us. He still loves us. He hates your sin, but he loves you with an everlasting love. That's why he's willing even to give you the time of day. He's He's not going to strike you down with a lightning bolt the moment you open a church door. Isn't that good? Even though that's what we deserve, we deserve God's wrath and condemnation, but as long as we are breathing, as long as we are alive, there is still hope that our lives can change. It begins with confession. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, confession, when you agree with God, God is not some, uh, some uh, He's not in love with your punishment. In other words, He's not going to hold it against you. See, we like to do that when we get some juicy information on people. We like to hold it against. And we like to, you know, to uh, file it away for a later date. Uh-huh. But that's not what God does. He cleanses us. Verse 7, our scripture again. 
Purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. See, cleansing is possible because of the cross. As I mentioned, the high price that Jesus paid, it was more than enough. God was well pleased with that sacrifice. And the reason I say that is because there are some people, maybe here today, who are confused and think that the only way God can forgive you is if you do a bunch of stuff to generate a rapport with God or to make up for the evil that you've done. Let me just remind you, all of those legal notepads full of your sins, can you even possibly do enough to wipe out the ledger of bad stuff in your past? Probably not. That's why the cross is enough. Christ is enough for me. We sing that chorus. He is enough. What He did on the cross was enough to pay for every sin. And He's not waiting for you to clean up your own act because you can't anyway. So don't be confused. The gospel is not just do a bunch of good stuff and God will have mercy on you. That's not the gospel. The gospel is confess, repent, believe, and trust, and God will wipe your slate clean. That's the comeback story. And if we will allow God to cleanse us, you know, um, I remember I had a good friend one time who was doing some stupid stuff. And uh, one day... There was a guy who had this motorcycle, and uh, my friend, who was part of the church, wanted to take that motorcycle for a test drive. And he got on that motorcycle and got it up to about 70 miles an hour and then lost control. He hit the wrong brake uh, handle. I think he hit the, the front when he wanted to hit the back. It caused a wobble, and he fell off going about 75 miles an hour. He should have died. Uh, the story was that when... The, paramedics arrived on the scene that one of his shoes had fallen off of his foot and flown a hundred feet into the field that way. Somehow, miraculously, when he fell off, he tucked like this and he began to roll until he went from 75 to zero. As a result of this, uh, the other thing that was amazing to me, we we went to visit him, he had a set of keys in his pocket. And every one of the keys in his pocket had been scratched, bent, and dinged up. He showed me the the key ring. But he didn't break one bone. You tell me that's not a miracle. But as a result of when he did this, all of the skin on his arms had been completely, and his legs right here, was just totally raw. And when he was telling us the story afterwards, he said, yeah, it was hurting a lot when, when, when this happened. But you know what hurt worse? when they got him into the emergency room and started scrubbing soap and tweezers to get every... Because the problem is, if you don't disinfect that, it can be serious infection, right? And the motorcycle crash didn't kill you, but the infection will because it goes straight in the blood. And he said that was even more painful than actually falling off the motorcycle. Cleansing. That's what we mean when we say we have to allow God to cleanse us. You know, there are some things, part of our personality, part of our history, that for God to cleanse it, it means He's going to have to get in close. He's going to have to do some scrubbing. And He's going to have to get out tweezers sometimes. You know what I'm saying? And our church is called the Potter's House. 
in the image of the potter with a vessel on, on the wheel, and there's a chunk in there that needs to be removed. And sometimes it's not comfortable, is it? This, this would not have been comfortable for David as the prophet Nathan comes and points out his sins to him. And yet, thank God he did. Because what could have destroyed David actually recovered him. I want to remind you as we close, there's hope in the Gospel. There is hope. And God wants to cleanse and forgive. God wants to bring healing and restoration to our lives. The process can only go forward when we repent. It's hard. It means humility. It means you've got to acknowledge that I, I did wrong. Can't put the blame. But if you will, oh, I'm telling you, all the promises of God belong to those who are willing to repent. God, please purge me, cleanse me, wash me so that I can hear joy and gladness once again. Don't you want to know the presence of God? Isn't that the thing that when we were new converts, we just fell in love with immediately was the feeling of being right with God? Isn't that what filled your life as a new believer? You couldn't wait to get back to church because, oh, the joy of just singing a worship song. God wants to restore that today. But it requires repentance. Let's bow our heads this morning. Close our eyes. I thank you for your attention. I believe this morning God wants to do a powerful work in hearts today. In your heart. And as our heads are bowed, eyes closed for just a moment as we begin to internalize this message and think and consider where is it, God? What is it in my life that I've been keeping from you? Which room of my house I have not opened the door? Jesus said, if any man would open the door to me, I would come into his house and I would have fellowship with him there. For many Christians, for many believers, yeah, we, we, at some point in our lives, we've opened the front door and let him come in the front room, but there are still closets and basements and attics, and we say, Lord, there's so much junk in there. Lord, it's a mess. Lord, please don't enter those areas of my mind, my heart, my soul. And I believe God, God wants to bring cleansing and healing and remove the guilt and the shame that we carry around as believers. Before we open this altar for prayer, I want to speak to someone here today. Maybe you're not right with God. I've spoken mostly to Christians today, to people who have already trusted in Christ. Is it possible you're here today and you've never done that? Or perhaps you did it so long ago and so in another lifetime for you that today it's not real to you. You're not truly uh, living for the Lord Jesus Christ. You're backslidden in your heart. Or maybe like Jonah running from God, the prodigal son in the far country, or perhaps never never even uh, uh, approached God or thought to approach God. And you're, you're here today. The Bible's clear that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. None of us deserves His mercy. But that He loves us and cares about us nonetheless. He wants to save sinners. And if that's you here today, I want to pray with you. You're believing God. And you're willing to come to the point of repentance, to humble yourself. Say, I don't 
I don't understand everything, but this I know, I'm a sinner in need of God's forgiveness. God has awakened you to your need for forgiveness. And if that's you, unsaved or backslidden in your heart, I want to pray with you right now. And you'd slip up your hand and being honest and say, Pastor, please pray for me. I know that I'm not right with God, but I want to be. Is that you? Let me see your hand. Is there anyone here? Anyone at all? You slip up your hand quickly so I can see it. You need prayer to become a believer, to repent of sins, and to trust Christ for salvation. Anyone at all? Quickly, quickly here today. Amen. Then let me change the call and speak to, to people of faith here. Oh, beloved, there's a reason why the preacher calls you beloved. Because there is a God in heaven who loves you so much. He gave His Son to die so that anyone who would confess his sins and repent, who would believe on Him, would not perish but have everlasting life. That famous verse in John 3.16 is not just for the sinner on the street. It is for the saint in the house of God. And the same thing that saved you will be the same thing that sanctifies you. It's your willingness to repent, to deal with the hard issues and, and take an honest look. But here's the good news. If you will do that, you'll endure that difficulty like David did, that there is such a release of God's power and mercy and grace and blessing and favor that's going to flow into your spirit as a result. Our consequences of sins don't automatically go away. Sometimes you sin and there is a consequence. There's a price you have to pay for that in life. But we can still be forgiven. And I believe God's dealing with some hearts today. Don't want to hold this out any longer. Let's stand to our feet in this place. And for just a moment while we sing a song of worship, we're going to open the altar for prayer. This altar, this step right here on the front of the stage is a place where we can come to humble ourselves and cry out to God. We can kneel down and we can confess our sins. We can approach the living God. And the great thing about God is that He will not turn us away. And I want to encourage you now. Let's take a moment. God is speaking to you. You can come today. God's going to speak to you. God's going to help you. If you will confess your sins, if you will do what David did, nope, pass the blame, Let's begin to cry out to God right here at this altar. He's going to help us. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vbph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.